We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible, presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello, and we are excited to talk about the draft because it's officially April. It's draft month. Justin, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. As always, I'm excited to be here and, and talk some NFL draft with you. Let's do this. This is my bread and butter. This is your bread and butter. I'm a big draft nerd as well. We love talking about the draft. We're really going to get deep into the nitty gritty draft talk here over the next few weeks because we're only two, three, four weeks away from the draft. It's uh, Friday, April 2nd. Draft will be here before we know it. Honestly, time is going to run really quickly here. So let's cover some quick news items for the Titans before we move on and get into the draft because today you and I are going to cover who we consider to be Five very likely potential targets for the Titans with their first round pick, whether they move up a little bit, which I highly do not expect, back a little bit, which seems pretty likely, or stay put at pick 22. We've got what we believe to be five extremely likely options that all Titans fans should keep on their radar. So we'll get into those names in just a second. First, let's talk about Titans new safety, Matthias Farley. Thoughts? Yeah, I think my my thoughts are that it's a special team signing. Um, I, we've kind of covered this, I think, over the past couple of weeks. But again, a lot of special teamers leaving Tennessee this offseason. Chris Milton is is officially gone, signed with the New York Giants. Uh, so did Joshua Kalu, by the way. So two guys there that are that are definitely gone. You've still got Will Compton as a free agent and Darren Baines and, and Nick DeZubnar and Center East Perry. So uh, got to kind of retool that room, that special teams unit. And Matthias Farley was a captain last year on special teams for the New York Jets in 2020. He's a five-year NFL veteran. He was a captain uh, at Notre Dame. We played at a big school and they love him there. Um, uh, doing some digging up on him and a lot of good things about Matthias Farley. Uh, it seems like everywhere he's been, people love him. One quick Twitter search of his name, you'll see Notre Dame fans that love him. You'll find New York Jets fans that love him. And you'll find Indianapolis Colts fans that love him. So to me, this is this is a guy that's going to come in. I, I saw some Titans fans saying, oh, it's, it's a camp body. You know, he probably won't make the roster. I think you are very wrong. Titans don't typically add a camp bodies this time of year, right? Yeah, definitely. No, not. they don't do that. They don't do that at all. This is a guy that's going to come in and play big time snaps on special teams. And special team snaps can be called big time snaps. That's what he's going to play. He's going to make the team. He could be a captain on special teams again, like he was for the Jets last year. This guy that's going to make the roster and fill in maybe for a guy like a Josh Kalu or a, or a Chris Milton and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, outside of, you know, a guy on the practice squad or a futures contract or anything like that, he's now only the fourth safety on the roster, right? They were a little thin there, right? With uh, of course, Byard and hooker, uh, you had Crookshank and, and now you have Farley. So to me, he definitely makes the roster and he's probably going to be a pretty good special teams player too. I agree with everything you said there. He definitely makes the roster. I would not rule it out for him to become a captain, like you just said. So, Matthias Farley, welcome to the Titans. I think he'll be a solid contributor. Not going to break the bank, obviously, and it's not going to break the headlines either. But it's a good signing for John Robinson, who, like you said, needs to retool the special teams room. So, let's move on now. You covered the two new tight, the two other Titans that departed. Logan Ryan had a funny tweet on Tuesday, getting the the gang back together. The gang's all here. This is a SpongeBob reference, anyway. Yes, Joshua Kalu and Chris Milton gone to the New York Giants. So, yes, lots of retooling on special teams. And another big news item that we're going to talk about very briefly here, 17-game schedule. It is official. It was more or less announced over the weekend, and then on Tuesday the owners met and voted to approve the new 17-game schedule. So the way this will work is there will only be three preseason games. There will be 18 regular season games. Each team still only has one bye week. They will not add a second bye week. And they, this will be enacted for the 2021 season, which is about to happen. So the Titans will play the Saints. We don't know when yet. There was some 
confusion about, or I guess just misunderstanding that all of the extra games would be the last week of the season. And that's absolutely not how it's going to work. They're just adding an extra week to the season. And these are the matchups. They announced all the matchups. So the Titans will host the Saints whenever the schedule comes out. We'll know what week that is, but the schedule is not going to be released for probably another few weeks. It usually comes out in April. Last year, they delayed it to May because of COVID. So I could see that happening again, just because we're still in COVID. So the 17th game schedule, that's going to happen. I am kind of indifferent on the one hand. I like that there's going to be more football, but I also worry about the quality of that football. If teams already have their seating locked up, are they even going to be playing the main guys? Are players going to be putting extra wear and tear on their bodies heading into the playoffs? Is this is this going to open the door for teams to rest even more players in that final week of the season if they already have their playoff spot locked up? I think so. So overall, I don't know if this really helps the quality of the game or the quality of the competition. It makes it uneven in terms of how many home games everyone's going to play in a season. The Titans will be one of the teams that plays an extra home game this year, but then you have to pay for that in the next in the following seasons, I'm guessing. So overall, it seems like a money grab by the owners, but money grab means the salary cap goes up, means superstar players get bigger contracts, which means the NFL is more fun. I don't know. Where do you call, where do you fall on the 17 game schedule? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think indifferent probably sums it up. Look, you're a football fan. I'm a football fan. I'm not going to complain about more football. An extra week of football sounds good to me. Um, I have no doubts that the league is doing this purely out of, uh, you know, their greed knows no bounds, so to speak, right? It's it's really just another chance to bring in even more money because they they don't have enough uh, as is. So that's the reason behind it. Players don't sound like they love it. You've seen a couple players voicing their displeasure uh, on Twitter. I think it would have made a lot of sense to add two weeks to the regular season and throw in another bye week. Like, why not do that? I, I think everyone would be, ha- I think you'd see a lot less complaining by, by the players if, if you had an extra bye week in there. Why not do that? Yeah, I agree. I think that I'm kind of confused actually how this is going to work because they keep saying it's going to push everything back and it's going to push Super Bowl Sunday back, which I love. That is the number one win out of all of this because it will fall on President's Day weekend, which means that Monday after the Super Bowl will finally be a holiday, even if it's not an official holiday, even if it's not a Super Bowl holiday, it'll be an official U.S. bank holiday. So people might actually get that Super Bowl three-day weekend. But if they're removing a preseason game, where does that extra week come from? Are they just starting the season a week later or... Am I confused somewhere? Maybe I'm just confused. I don't know. But apparently they're pushing the season back and only playing three preseason games. I've got no idea, and I don't have the answer for you on that one. I I wish that I did. (laughs) But uh, again, it's more football, so I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about it because more football sounds good to me. So let's talk now about the draft. The Titans have the 22nd overall pick. We know that. They have huge needs at cornerback and wide receiver. Some would argue defensive end is still a huge need, offensive tackle, tight end. Let's take a look now. Five guys, just going to focus today on five guys, and we'll cover other guys on later episodes. But to me, personally, these are five guys that I would consider maybe not the most likely, but in the group of most likely targets for the Titans at pick 22 based on position and relative value and, and the consensus rankings that we've seen now over the past few weeks as as draft season really starts to heat up so i'm going to turn it over to you as we start with our very first guy because you've already written a scouting report on him for broadway sports media he's become a huge fan favorite he was the number one response when i tweeted out who should the titans take at pick 22 in a random mock draft scenario that i had come up with and i'm talking about minnesota wide receiver rashad bateman so take it away why is rashad bateman such a good fit for the titans yeah i'm a big fan of rashad bateman and i feel like i've written on this uh, extensively this offseason every mock draft i've done the scouting report that i did on him for broadwaysportsmedia.com as you mentioned uh, I've talked a lot about Rashad Bateman, and for good reason. Uh, I think he's a bona fide first-round pick. I think he's a guy that's going to come into the league and start on the outside uh, immediately. I think he's a really good fit for the Titans' offense. And, and the reason I say that is is for a couple of things. Uh, one, the number one thing, and I, I wrote about this on his scouting report again, um, is what he does after the catch, how big he is, how physical he is. 
Um, John Robinson, the way he's built this offense, and I know some of these guys aren't here anymore, but we can still learn from it, right? We can still look at the type of offensive talents that John Robinson has targeted. He drafted Derrick Henry. He drafted Corey Davis. He drafted A.J. Brown, and he drafted John New Smith. All four of those guys are big, tough, physical guys. And you'd almost say they're freak athletes, right? And I think you'd agree with all four of them being terrific athletes uh, for the positions that they play. When I look at Rashad Bateman, uh, I think the same thing. Corey Davis, John New Smith, great after the catch, pick up a ton of yards, tough to tackle in the open field, can create with the ball in their hands. I see a lot of that in Rashad Bateman. He's incredibly difficult to tackle. He showcases dominant strength. Uh, he's got some great speed to his game. I think he would come in and thrive in this offense immediately. You talk about the play action passing game with Ryan Tannehill. I think he, you know, if you're if you are replacing Corey Davis on the outside with a draft pick, I don't think you know anybody makes more sense than Rashad Bateman. Yes, he's not the number one receiver in the draft, so you may think that sounds silly. Of course, a Jamar Chase or a Jalen Waddle would also, uh, of course, fit the bill. Those are terrific talents. But in terms of fit for the offense, I think Bateman makes so much chance. And one interesting fact, I think I might have wrote about this, but it may not matter. But uh, same receiver coach that Corey Davis had in college. So when the Titans <laughs> drafted Corey Davis, uh, surely uh, I know for a fact they did that they spoke with receiver coach Matt Simon. He was the receiver coach at Western Michigan at the time. He is now the receiver coach and I believe co-offensive coordinator at the University of Minnesota. Got a, a, a nice little uh, promotion for the work that he did at WMU with guys like Corey Davis. So uh, they'll be talking to the same receiver coach this time around. And I'm sure uh, they obviously had a good feeling about him and, and the way that he coached Corey Davis up. Well, same guy coaching up Rashad Bateman. So interesting to see um, if, if, if that plays a role at all. Yeah, some statistics for you I'll throw out. I've only watched, I've just started diving into the wide receivers. So I'm only two games deep on Bateman, but. I've watched eight. Yeah, I mean, he is definitely a fun player. One thing that stands out to me is his ability uh, to adjust to off-target passes in stride. Um, and we actually have are in a group chat where a clip was sent earlier today of that happening and that's one of the things that i actually noticed on tape watching him is if the pass over the middle is a little bit behind or a little high or a little low bateman is so good at just seamlessly adjusting on the fly catching the ball and be, like you said being ready to run after the catch with the ball i think that's one of the things that makes him so great at picking up those extra yards is he doesn't ever really have to stop to adjust to passes he just contorts his body and has great balance through those types of plays so 2019 was basically his last big year because he opted out after five games in 2020 due to some COVID concerns. And he was initially opted out and he opted back in and then opted out again um, and then, then only ended up playing five games. But in 2019, as a true sophomore, 60 catches for 1,219 yards, 1,200-yard season, 11 touchdowns. He averaged 20 yards per catch, 20.3 yards per catch, and 93.8 yards per game. And in 2020, he came back, and in just five games, he had 36 catches, which is more than half the number he had in 13 games the previous season. 472 yards and two touchdowns, which doesn't sound like a lot, but his his average yards per catch dropped by seven yards, but his average yards per game actually improved over his 1,200-yard, 11-touchdown season to 94.4 yards per game as pretty much the only target there. In 2019, they had... Uh, what's his name? Tyler Johnson on the outside as well, who is now who was a rookie with the Bucks this past season. So Rashad Bateman, definitely an interesting fit. I want to ask you, where does he fall both in terms of your wide receiver rankings overall and on your big board? So my wide receiver rankings, he is my receiver four. Uh, for me, it's a, it's a, of course the top three is, is you know maybe different for people in terms of the order, but. I do have Jamar Chase number one. I have uh, Smith two. I've got Waddle three, and I've got uh, I've got Bateman number four. I think he's the fourth best receiver. I have him above Kadarius Tony. That would probably be most you know. I, I think a lot of people probably have Tony or even uh, maybe Terrace Marshall at four. But I personally see it as Bateman. I actually have him currently. I'm still kind of toying and tinkering with the big board. I am going to uh, plan on releasing it soon. I currently have him at twentieth overall. And I'm, he's likely to stay there. I don't think he'll be moving. So 20th overall, I'm incredibly high on him. So overall, it would be considered a value pick for you. 
uh, if he if he was taken at twenty two, just based on your spot on the big board. Yeah, I, I, I guess you can say that. You know, twenty twenty two. It's obviously it's only two spots apart, but sure. Uh, you know, technically, um, and uh, other people may be lower on him. I think a lot of people, in fact, are lower in, on him than I am. I think uh, Daniel Jeremiah. I think he had him somewhere in the forties. I, I want to say uh, on his last update, but I, I'm high on him. I don't get it. You know, the size is terrific. One thing we didn't talk about, he's a great route runner, right? You talked about his adjustment um, on the fly, the way he's able to adjust his body and, and catch balls that maybe don't look uh, super catchable. I talked about his ability after the catch, which is my favorite trait of his. He's got great size uh, as well. You know, the measurements are there. There's no concerns there. He hasn't, he hasn't had, you know, injury concerns. Uh, I just, it's for me, it's really tough to poke holes in this game. I will say his route running to me, it's, it could be more precise and detailed in terms of he likes to round off those those RPO dig routes at the top because he's playing against such off coverage cornerbacks 10, 15 yards off at the snap and the play action, or it's not really play action, it's an RPO ball fake where the quarterback is reading, which it's not necessarily a fake, it could be a handoff. But when he pulls it, when the quarterback pulls the ball to look for the receiver, Bateman's running kind of a rounded dig route over the middle and he rounds those quite a bit and I just don't know how much that would work at the next level I think that's something that's pretty easily to easy to refine for a guy who's a who puts time into you know perfecting his craft but it is something I think he will have to work on if we're gonna nitpick because when you start rounding against good cornerbacks you're telegraphing which direction you're going and they can come down and cut off the route in those situations so anyway just a, my only criticism of his. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Yeah, for me, I, I can see a little what you're talking about. I, I do think he's a good route runner. I think he'll be a good route runner at the next level. One of the big things for me with him that, that I liked is I, I think he's got great. He's great in and out of his breaks. I think he's really efficient there. I think he's really smooth. I think he sells them well. Hard breaks kind of thing, you know, and, and I think he's tough to keep up with at the top of a route. At least he was at Minnesota. Yeah, he he definitely shows that ability at times. I I guess I meant more um, just on the so a lot of in breaking routes. A lot of times right. he is very right. no, very fair. rounded. But he, yeah, he's definitely an explosive player. And uh, confession for everyone: we are recording this on a Tuesday night because I have to travel again this week. So unfortunately, we don't have Bateman's pro day numbers, which were if you're listening to this podcast on Friday, April second, yesterday, Thursday, Minnesota held their pro day. So. Hopefully he tested well. <laughs> I mean, people are expecting him to run in the low four fours, if not high four threes. It is a pro day, so maybe he'll crack four three with just given the benefit. That would be that, a crazy time for him. You think four three nine would be crazy? I saw that he. I people do. said I don't he think ran he's a four three he was, player on tape. Truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe a four. I think five he's a four four mid mid to late four fours would be would be my guess. But like you said, it is a pro day, so. Maybe he'll break the record. <laughs> he was going to run a 4-1 because it's a pro day in there. There you go. Doctor the, the time. Um, no. All right. So that pretty much covers Rashad Bateman. I think that he'd be a great fit for the Titans. I do think if they passed on him at 22, he's not someone that's going to be sitting there at 53. So if they pass on him, you may be looking at a Harold Landry type scenario where you have to trade up into the 40s to get him. Like you said, I think you said Daniel Jeremiah has him in the 40s on his big board. So. Um, let's talk about another potential prospect here. And a lot, a lot of mocks have South Carolina cornerback J.C. Horn going to the Titans at 22. Not just the expert mocks, but a lot of people send me their mocks on Twitter and want to discuss what they've done. And a lot of those mocks have J.C. Horn at 22. And I'll just say, if J.C. Horn is on the board when the Titans are picking at 22, they should sprint to the, I guess, virtual podium because is the draft going to be in person this year? I don't even know. Um, they should get that card in immediately because he would be a phenomenal pick at 22. But at this point, I really do not expect him to be there. I think he's a top 20. I think he's a lock for the top 20. I think he's going to be a top 15 pick. So we need to stop talking about JC Horn as a fan base because it's just unrealistic. I'm sorry. A guy who is realistic and plenty talented himself is cornerback Greg Newsom II out of Northwestern. What can you tell me about him? Look, big Greg Newsom fan here. Confession, uh, I have been the entire time. I remember when I first turned the tape on several months ago, and, and you know maybe it was too early in the process, but not to pat myself on the back, but I just remember thinking, where's all the buzz on this guy? 
why aren't we talking about Greg Newsom more? And now it seems like we can't stop talking about Greg Newsom. And it always comes full circle, right? The guys that deserve the hype, it feels like they always get it eventually. Sometimes it just takes a little time. Such an exciting player. You know, the athleticism is through the roof. Uh, you saw it at the pro day. He put on a show there. If you turn the tape on, I, I remember, you know, watching him for the first time. I think if, if you're a Greg Newsom fan, chances are you became one when you watched what he did in 2020 against Nebraska. Just terrific. I mean, from the opening whistle, he's he, he's coming up and run support at the line of scrimmage. He, he makes great tackles on the perimeter. This all happened in the first quarter. He had excellent coverage on a third down. I think it was a slant. Again, it was in the first quarter. Uh, then he's covering a, a, a guy on the sideline, forces incomplete pass, still in the first quarter. Just a terrific, terrific player. I gave him pretty much a perfect grade for that game against Nebraska. Um, Illinois as well. I mean, Illinois has got a, a poor passing game, but I thought he was quite good. They, they didn't even look his way in that game against Illinois. If you haven't watched it yet you can just feel the respect oozing off the screen it's like yeah we know that's Greg Newsom we're not throwing the ball in that direction we're not even going to try it so this is a guy I, I, I love him I'm going to be honest with you early on in the process I remember I, I reached out to his agent and I said you got to get me an interview with this kid because uh, as of now in the media I think I'm higher on him than anybody and I was able to do that interview recently. It hasn't published yet, but it is going to publish very soon. Uh, not so, you know, I'm, I'm not just trying to plug my own, uh, you know, my interviews, but if you get a chance, you know, make sure you look out for that. Cause it was one of my favorite interviews this year. It was super long. I was on the phone with him for, for, for nearly an hour. And he just want, he wants to talk X's and O's. And I love that about him. He wants to talk about his ability. He's super confident in himself and he should be when you put the tape on just to a terrific athlete. He attacks the ball in the air. He brings the right attitude on every single play. He's a damn good tackler. He's aggressive. I talked about the run support in the, in the Nebraska game. It's all over his tape. You just, you know, I talk to a lot of prospects who tell me the same thing about tackling. You got to want to tackle. You can talk about form all day long, but if you don't truly want to tackle in your your heart, then you're not going to be a good tackler. Greg Newsom loves tackling. He loves playing, uh, you know, man, he wants to get in your face uh, at the line of scrimmage. He's just a huge fan of his game. I know there's concerns about the durability and, and I understand that he hasn't played a full season yet at Northwestern. He's been banged up. It's been mostly little things. He hasn't had anything big, but he has had to miss time every single season. So you may worry about that and I get it. But for me, this is a first round prospect all day long. Yeah, you mentioned his his impressive pro day. He ran a four three eight forty, jumped forty inches in the vertical, which maybe wow. is more impressive. At six feet one ninety two, so he's big bodied cornerback, and, fast and, and explosive. And look, not to cut you off, but the thing with the pro day workouts, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but people, oh, that's the pro day. It's the pro day, and I get it a little bit with the forty. We just did it. We just went through that. <laughs> we just did it, and I, I know, I know, we did. But how do you fake a vertical? Yeah, vertical is a vertical. A vertical is a vertical. That's my point. I know, don't get me wrong. I'm not going back with the 40s. There's no doubt about it that they're, they seem to be a little juiced, right? They're getting a favorable time on the 40. But vertical is a vertical. You're telling me he jumped 40 inches at the pro day. He would have jumped 40 inches at the combine. Yeah, and I, I don't think you can fake any of the explosive tests. Like, I mean, no. the only ones you're really getting getting help on are the hand-timed tests. I mean, the three-cone and the the 40 if they're hand timing although there is a lot of laser time but there's still fishiness going on with that stuff so yes greg newsome fantastic prospect um daniel jeremiah recently said he's going to end up in the 20s he's probably going to go in the first round which you have said you've been on for a long time now so i think he would be a great fit for the titans at one of their biggest positions of need take the pressure off of well not take the pressure off of but can play some snaps out there so Jack Rabbit can get some rest and so Kevin Johnson doesn't have to play at all and uh, help out Christian Fulton maybe and start to form a, a new young cornerback tandem that the Titans can rely on for the next few years. So where do you have them have him overall on your big board right now? I've currently got Greg Newsom, and again, I think he'll probably finish in this range at 25. 25th overall he is the number four corner I believe let me just confirm that as I'm scrolling through the names but yeah my number my number four corner on my board right now and that's because uh, I still have Caleb Farley as a top three corner I'm not gonna bump him way down my board because the injury uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really you know doing this based on talent so I'm not gonna move him way down the board but uh, Newsom uh, at 25th overall and I think probably has a good chance uh, again depending on how teams feel about Farley probably has a good chance to be the third corner off the board this year. 
Yeah, Caleb Farley, uh, unfortunate that his um, had a minor back surgery. So people are worried about that because it's a back injury. Not really sure how serious it's going to be. It'll depend on team's medical checks. But yes, for now, we can go ahead and, and just slot Greg Newsom in there as your cornerback three slash four until we get more clarity if we ever do. But I do want to ask, he only had one interception. You mentioned he didn't finish a season, played 21 total games at Northwestern, 15 games over the last two seasons, and he had 22 pass deflections, 11 last season, 10 this season, 10 in just six games this season, including his first and only career interception. John Robinson has always been a ball production kind of guy. You, he talked about it a long time ago with the formula that helped him scout Logan Ryan, right? It's kind of a big, famous thing about John Robinson. So I do think 25 career pass deflections in 21 career games is a ton of ball production, but only one interception. Any concerns there? No, not for me. I, I think you kind of said it there. When I see a guy that has a ton of pass deflections or a, a ton of PBUs, and only you know a few interceptions or you're concerned about a low interception total i think that's more of an anomaly than it is a guy that can't get his hands on the ball he can get his hands on the ball clearly right as you said a ton of people average more than one a game right which is which is unbelievable considering again you have games like illinois where they don't even really look in his direction so when you're averaging more than one pbu a game i think you you have great ball production you can get your hands on the ball it's it's either a bad luck thing or something really simple to tweak that you'll start seeing those PBUs turn into interceptions. So I, I don't have any concerns about his ball production personally. His he's got 31 and one eighth inch arms, which is fine, but it's not exceptional. Um, but at six feet, I, uh, with uh, with that many pass deflections in his career, I agree. Not concerning. Just wanted to ask how you felt. Um, but all right, let's move on now and talk about our third guy. We've covered a wide receiver and a cornerback. Let's cover a defensive end, Michigan's Quiddy Pay. I did a scouting report for him on broadwaysportsmedia.com, which you can find on the website under the football tab. If you hover over NFL Draft, there's a whole thing there just for scouting reports with all the reports that Mello and I have written because no one else for Broadway has gotten around to that yet, I guess. It's just you and me holding down the fort. So Throwing some shade. <laughs> <laughs> check those out and quitty pay is written up there as well so but i'll turn it over to you what are your thoughts on quitty pay uh, look i'm a quitty pay fan i i think maybe i'm not as high on him as some other people are uh first thing that uh, jumped out at me when i watched the tape is he plays with great effort right and i respect the hell out of that he's obviously an athletic freak we, we've got the testing and i'm gonna let you bring that up uh, you, uh, you probably have all the numbers in front of you, but, um, you know, athletic freak, we saw it at the pro day. It was just unbelievable. When I turned the tape on, uh, I think he's more of a, a power rusher though. I mean, that's, that's my opinion. I don't see a guy that uh, has a crazy ex explosive first step. I don't think he has great bend. He's not a guy that's, that has dynamic bend, so to speak. Um, so to me, there, there were times where uh, I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't think that the testing always matched up with the tape. I think that could be some of the things that Michigan asked him to do and how he fit into their defense. I will say my favorite game to scout from him did come in 2020, which I appreciated because I do think you saw some growth from 2019 to 2020, even though Michigan had a really short season. If you get a chance, make sure you watch that game against Minnesota. Thought he was really good in that game. And I think my favorite part of that game that he played against Minnesota is I was disappointed with his first half. I remember thinking that he didn't look great in that first half. He didn't do much. It was a little inconsistent. And then he exploded in the second half. I think he had two or three sacks uh, in the third and fourth quarter. He had a pressure he had that led three to three sacks on three consecutive plays. Three sacks on three, and and in that Minnesota game, right? Yeah, the first one was like a half sack where he like got the first contact and someone else brought him down. But then the next two plays were like he was in the backfield immediately and sacked the guy immediately right. both times. <laughs> that second one, you can, that second one, you can correct me if I'm wrong. That was a great inside move that he won with. Yeah. And on the very next play, the next act, he wins outside. He wins on the, on the, around the right tackle. Yeah. And that's the play to me, that play around the right tackle. And I recently tweeted this. So if you go to my Twitter and scroll through the media, you'll find it somewhere. Um, it, the play on the, on the right tackle to me shows that three cone time. He had, he didn't run the three cone at Michigan's pro day. He's going to, he's standing on his legendary three cone time that was recorded. And I included a video of in my breakdown on Broadway sports, um, but he, he reportedly ran a six, three, seven, three cone. 
which would wow. be the second fastest three cone time ever recorded in combine history if he ran that at the combine, which obviously this doesn't count as doing Not just that, among, but his among his position among all players, second fastest time ever. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And if we take a look at the at his size, measured in at 6'2", 261, ran the 40-yard dash at his pro day in 4.52 uh, time. If you don't believe that, he did reportedly run it at a uh, 4.57 back when he did that 6.37 three-cone, so that kind of aligns. 35-and-a-half-inch vertical jump, 9-foot-10-inch broad jump, pretty explosive for a guy his size. He is a phenomenal athlete, and I do think he is more powerful than he is bendy, but like I said, that play against Minnesota turning the corner, he really, like, if you look at the the close-up replay, the angle that his feet change from <laughs> in one step and then plant and go to close, flatten, and tackle the quarterback, it's phenomenal. It's one of the most phenomenal single rushes of any edge player that any edge player had in their career, you know, up there with Ojolari's Cincinnati three sack Cincinnati game. Right. So I think Cody pay would be a great fit for the Titans at 22. I do think right now he's a more like a better, he's a little better run defender than he is pass rusher, which I think I can help. I, I think that'll help get him on the field though. And he kind of reminds me of Bud Dupree. He's not quite as big as Bud Dupree, but just a super athlete who's not super refined yet as a pass rusher. But, you know, get him in there in the building with Bud Dupree and see see what he can learn. I think he'd be a great third guy coming, providing a lot of juice who, who you can play at three-tech, five-tech, nine-tech, stand-up outside linebacker. I thought he didn't really look like a stand-up outside linebacker to me on his 2019 film, but in 2020... He really improved his get-off specifically was something I noticed. He really improved his get-off. You mentioned he wasn't that explosive off the line. I agree he wasn't in 2019, but he looked a lot better in that area in 2020. So I think that a guy who shows improvement year over year is a guy you can invest a pick in. And I, I'm a big fan of Quiddy Pay, and I know that wide receiver and cornerback have kind of vaulted to the very top of the needs list, but it's a deep, deep class in both of those positions. And the edge class is not that deep. And I don't know. I would I would like a, a tandem of wide receiver, then edge, or cornerback, and then edge if that second-round edge is like Joseph Osai. But if the first-round edge is Quiddy Pay and you can get Elijah Moore in the second round or something like that, then I like that combination a lot too. Yeah, that's a scenario that's tough to complain about. I think, I think the interesting thing here is you know you you talked about J.C. Horn? Do you think he's going to be around at twenty two? I'm not so sure that he is. I, you know, again, and, and I kind of love the uncertainty in this edge class, right? Because we don't know who's who's. There's no obvious guy that's going to be the first no guy. Chase taken, Young, right? Exactly. There's no Chase Young. There's no Bosa brother. So, if I had to put money down on which one goes first, I think it's going to be Pay. It could be pay. We could be talking about a guy who's drafted in the top 12 here, and this is totally I mean, people thought Rashawn Gary might fall to this 20s range, and he ended up going, what, like 13 or 14 or something? And I think even there, yeah, kind of 12, 12 or 13, I think 12, it was maybe. for Gary. So I think it's going to be similar, similar prospects, for pay. honestly. <laughs> I think the NFL, I love Aziza Jolari. I know you do as well, but I think the NFL is going to like pay better. I agree. I, I personally have Ojolari ahead of pay in my own personal edge rankings. But I think Ojolari is going to be a second-round pick because the NFL is just going to not like him, I don't know, as an in instant impact kind of guy. I don't know. Yannick Ngakwe fell to the third round. You know, th crazy things happen. <laughs> um, and I don't like Rousseau. I'm anti-Rousseau. I know you're not super anti-Rousseau, but he bombed Miami's pro day pretty bad after sitting out for a year, which really makes you wonder, you know, how committed he is. And... So, yeah, I could see easily see Pay being the first rusher. Then you have Jalen Phillips, who is consensus. Everyone agrees the most talented edge rusher, but there's questions about his health, concussion history, his he quit football and then came back after being at UCLA to go be a DJ. So he says, you know, and everyone will say this, but he says there's no, like, there's no conflict of interest. He, he There's no music is not a distraction for him or whatever, but you know what? That's exactly what Isaiah Wilson was saying this time last year about wanting to play football, right? So hard to trust a guy in that situation. So, so anyway, all, all that so to say, come yeah. back to Isaiah Wilson. I love <laughs> all that to say, yeah, pay could be the first edge taken. He could be off the board. So going to be fighting with my girlfriend one day and be like, how can I trust you when Isaiah Wilson broke all the trust 
that I had. <laughs> so no, no, all kidding aside. Yeah, you're right. I think pay. I, I, if I, again, if I had to put money down today, I think he's the first edge taken. I really do. Oh, uh, I didn't ask you where he's at on your big board. I, this is a tough one for me. And I may still tinker with this slightly. I currently have him at 19th and I have him at edge two. I have edge Ulari at 18th. I have pay at 19. I've been a big Ulari guy this entire time. The pro day was a bit of a tough pill to swallow. I, I didn't for see that Ojulari. coming. Yeah, on Ojulari. Yeah, I thought he looked a lot more athletic on tape than he did at the pro day. I agree. It's kind of weird. So, that's a strange one to me. Don't get me, and I'm not the kind of guy, everything is subjective. Of course, everything is subjective, but I mean, I, I don't have a rule of thumb where if, if one guy bombs a pro day, I'm going to automatically remove him or, or drop him down the list. I sometimes do it. I'm not going to lie. I sometimes do it, but I don't do it every single time it happens. With Adjulari, for now, I'm going to think about things. I'm going to revisit the tape over these next few weeks. But for now, I'm choosing to believe in the tape. He's still my number one edge. But as you can see, with I have pay one overall after him. I have him 19. So it's really, really tight for me right now. And since we're talking about it, I might as well just bring it up, uh, say what his numbers were in case you missed Ojulari's pro day. He ran a 4.62 and a 4.66 in his two 40-yard dashes, which is okay it's not super explosive for a guy his size you'd expect him but i mean that's pretty good 462 for an edge um 34.3 inch arms which i actually thought his arms looked average to below average on tape but he came in with pretty long arms six foot two uh that 40 yard dash is 82nd percentile length is 81st percentile but then the numbers that were more concerning 30 inch vertical only 20th percentile for edge rushers 7.273 cone. That's almost a full second slower than Quiddy Pay's reported legendary <laughs> 637. Um, is 42nd percentile. Um, so yeah, the you you'd think a guy who looks as explosive as him would be able to jump higher in the vertical because that's an explosive measurement. And you'd think a guy who basically wins by bending the edge would have a little better than 7273 cone, but you know, again. It's not like it wasn't a total bomb, but you have to just go back to the tape and evaluate. For me, when I watched Gregory Rousseau on tape, I was like, this guy is just lucking into 15 sacks. And when I watched Ojolari, I was like, this guy knows how to rush the passer. But so that's kind of why their pro days for me don't have the same impact on my evaluation. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Absolutely. Kind of, kind of sums up what I'm saying, what I said, right? About sometimes with a pro day, you know, you put more stock in it uh, than others. It, it really just depends on the player and the results. I actually am getting tired of the pro day overhyping. I mean, Zach Wilson has his pro day and all of a sudden he's QB two. And then Justin Fields has his pro day on Tuesday. And it's like, ah, slow down. Justin Fields is still QB two. And it's like, if the pro days are what's changing your mind, then you didn't do enough tape evaluation because for a quarterback, I mean, for a quarterback, you have to talk to the kid. You have to do whiteboard sessions with the guy to have a real evaluation. So for us, it's impossible to even be like begin to actually evaluate these guys. If you had to choose between them, if your franchise was on the line or whatever. But anyway, I'm on a tangent here. I'm just getting so tired of how much people are overreacting to Justin Fields <laughs> and Zach Wilson's pro days. I, I'm looking forward to things going back to normal next year. For sure. With the next draft cycle, I'm looking forward to hopefully guys taking their top 30 visits and, and, and doing this whiteboard work in person with teams. And, and I'm looking forward to the combine because when the combine yeah. comes back, then some of this pro day craziness will certainly go away. And the fake 40 times will also go away. Yeah. And Justin Fields, like ran a 4-4-4-40 or whatever. And I had people on Twitter, I saw tweets that were like, this makes him the, the obvious QB too. Like if... If his 40 time has anything to do with where he ranks for you as a quarterback, you're just doing it wrong. I'm sorry. That's crazy to me. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> crazy. I'll, I'll say on that topic, not to go, to go too off the deep end, but uh, I said this on another podcast that I, I did a guest spot on earlier this week. Um, Justin Fields has always been my QB too. I've never wavered throughout that process. From the moment I put the film on, uh, I knew that he was going to be my my 1B to Trevor Lawrence's 1A. So I've never changed my mind on that. Uh, I, I like Zach Wilson, but uh, it's Justin Fields all day long. Yeah, I haven't really studied either very closely, but I do feel the same way. And I actually, yeah, I think Trey Lance 
could be the number three and Zach Wilson be the number four. But I don't know if the NFL feels that way based on the rumors about why teams traded where and the Eagles traded back because they knew Zach Wilson would be gone, which makes him presumably a top three guy, right? And like apparently the Jets are probably going to take Zach Wilson. Who knows what's going to happen, right? But that's what it seems to be the rumor mill swirling now. So anyway, sorry for that tangent. We're getting pretty long on this episode, so let's dive quickly into our fourth guy. And we'll go a little quicker because I'm not sure Titans fans really want to hear us talk about an offensive lineman. (laughs) But they did it last year. It's been a first-round pick last year. And they cut the guy who played for him all season in Dennis Kelly. Kendall Lamb is a cheaper guy. Started in Houston, but how much are they relying on him? How much do they trust him to be a full-time starter? John Robinson loves investing first-round picks in right tackles. So we have to acknowledge this very real possibility And the tackle that we've chosen to talk about today is Oklahoma State's Tevin Jenkins. Take it away. I'm a big fan of Tevin Jenkins. The Titans do go in this direction. I I do think he's a guy that's worthy um, of a first-round selection. And I'll get to the big board, uh, you know, funny enough. But um, really like the way he plays the game. He's tough. He's violent. He's physical. Um, I I recently had a chance to, again, sit down and interview him and, and pick his brain. And he's a fun guy, man. He's super entertaining. Uh, I, I asked him about advice that his offensive line coach gave him. And he said, uh, well, you gotta be, a, you gotta be a dickhead if you're going to be a successful offensive lineman. And he just, <laughs> this is a guy and, and he lives by it. He lives by it. He's tough. He's physical. He's violent. He's aggressive. You see it on tape. Uh, he's nasty. Um, his, you know, he played in that air raid offense at Oklahoma state. So I know some people uh, may have some concerns about that. He's got a, a bit of a pass set thing that I think needs to be adjusted so it's a little unnatural and, and you'll see it if you, if you watch it on tape. Uh, but uh, I, I like him. I really do. I think he's a first round pick. He, he, he's a mauler in the run game. I think that's really where he, where his uh, skill set stands out. I think he's good in pass pro, but I think he's great in the run game. Um, re- re- really big fan. The baseline traits are there. Again, if you're listening to this episode today on Friday, he had his pro day yesterday on Thursday, but we did record this before Uh, He did that, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that I'm not going to look stupid. And I'm going to say that he put up some incredible numbers at his pro day, because when I last spoke to him, he told me that he ran, he ran through a mock combine where he was training at the world famous Exos. And he put up 34 reps on the bench press. He had a 33 inch vertical and he had a 5.03 in the 40 yard dash to give you some perspective on that. A 33 inch vertical would put him in the 95th percentile of all offensive tackles and a 40 yard dash time at the 503 mark would put him in the 90th percentile. So he's a great athlete. Uh, he's cut his weight down, by the way, he played this past year at 330. He's down to 315. Feels like he's in the best shape of his life in that same time period. He has cut 6% off his body fat, 6%. So he's in terrific shape. I'm going to predict of the future. He had a great pro day. The testing numbers are going to be good. The 40, the bench, the explosion drills. He's a first round pick all day long. The tape tells it. The testing tells it. I love this player. And he played right tackle for Oklahoma State. So he's not going to be transitioning from the left side. So he could presumably come in and be ready early on to, to play significant snaps or start. Maybe not right away, but maybe, you know, in the first few weeks of the season. So I think... You know, as much as Titans fans may find it boring or stupid or annoying to take an offensive lineman in the first round, again, it's the way championship teams are built from the inside out. Build the line, have a great foundation, and it makes your playmakers on the outside look better, makes your quarterback look better. So at the end of the day, if this is the direction the team goes in, while we'll all be disappointed in the moment, I do think we'll we'll eventually rally behind it. So... Especially if he's Not a good much. football player. That's all that matters. Right. Get good football players wherever you can find them in the draft and supplement your big needs in free agency. That's kind of what the Titans have done. They still have big needs at wide receiver and cornerback, I think most people would say. So let's get to our last guy here filling one of those needs. You didn't ask this me about the guy. big board. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. What's uh, Where's Jenkins at? So I'm, you know, Titans fans may be disappointed. I know F words pod. If he's listening to this, he's going to be super disappointed. If I'm predicting the future, the big board lines up with the draft slot, which it never does. 
I've got Tevin Jenkins at 22nd overall. Uh, oh. Just by fluke there, that's that's the Titans pick, of course, but he's my fourth offensive tackle on my board, but I do have him at 22nd. I, I, again, I think he's a first-round pick. Nice, nice. So there you go. It's It's destiny. All right, I teased it already. Let's get to our last guy, someone who I think you're going to be maybe leading a little bandwagon for, at least for now, cornerback Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Yeah, why Why are we not talking more about Eric Stokes out of Georgia? I don't really understand it. I learned something a few years ago when the Titans took Adoree Jackson in the first round, and I want you to tell me if I'm crazy, if I'm misremembering this. A lot of people had Adoree Jackson when it was coming to big boards and stuff. I remember seeing him in the first round of mock drafts. But I remember seeing on big boards, a lot of times Adoree was in 40, 50, 60 range. Corners that are great athletes and have you know, played at big programs, have great tape, they're first round picks. Why are we not talking more about Eric Stokes? This is a guy just had his pro day at Georgia, right? He's over six feet tall. He's just a hair under 200 pounds. He ran the 40-yard dash in 4.25 seconds. Laser-timed. Laser-timed. I know we've been making fun of the 40 times, but go back to his high school career. He was an elite sprinter. You can look it up. This guy runs, and he ran for, you know, he runs for a living. He's a great runner. He's a sprinter. So even if that 40 time is a little, uh, you know, juiced up, what what is it? What is he, a 4-3 flat? 4-3-2, this is a fast player, and he's big. He's got great size, and turn the tape on. Watch what he did against Florida in 2020. I gave him an A-plus for what he – he was unbelievable against Florida this past season. It was one of the best tapes I've scouted from any corner in the class. He had a pick six, of course, but you know, which is, of course, is going to be a great play. But other than that, he was constantly playing tight coverage on his guys. He was great. Turn on the tape. You You want better competition? Turn on the tape against Alabama. From this past year, the all 22, he was terrific. They rarely looked his way, Alabama. They barely targeted him in that game. And he had a huge challenge, like everybody did with those Alabama receivers. He was great in that game. And again, make sure you watch the all 22, because even on the reps where he's not targeted, you see him playing tight coverage. There's a reason they don't look his way as lot. They don't look his way a lot, excuse me. He was covering those guys. He was great. This is a really good football player. Played at a big program. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the tape. Eric Stokes is a first round prospect in my opinion. And I'm shocked that we haven't seen more people saying it. I mean, unless I'm missing it and I don't think I am. Cause as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over this all day long, right? This draft stuff this is a first round guy to me. Yeah. 26 pass deflections in three seasons, four interceptions last year in 2022. He took back for touchdowns, just a tremendous athlete. Did you mention his explosive numbers for his pro day? No, I didn't, but please take it away because I, I mentioned the 40 time, but he put on a show out there. 11-foot broad jump, cleared <laughs> it, 11-foot and a 41-inch vertical. This guy is a super athlete. So you know John so Robinson why loves he, his athletes. Why, why not? Ball why production. not talk about him? In, I, I don't know. Again, check those boxes. I go back to Adoree Jackson, and Adoree wasn't a big guy, but you think of the type people love athletes at the corner position. This guy's got the athletic ability. He's got he's put great things on tape at a big program. He's got the size. To me, he fits the bill of a first round pick. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, especially once the JC Horn hype catches up with where it should be and he's being talked about as a clear top 15 pick. And if Caleb Farley's injury really becomes a big concern, then could certainly see Eric Stokes jumping up into that top range uh, of guys. So why not? I mean, especially if the Titans trade back into the late first round area, I think that might make him a super realistic target. So all aboard that pick, I'm, I'm in favor of super athletes, get speed on the defense and fill a big need at that cornerback position. 27th overall on my big board. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, that really lines up with the idea, you know, trade back a couple picks, pick up an extra third rounder or something like that. See, maybe make something happen there. Um, I don't know. Yep, I like it. Eric Stokes, that's our fifth guy. That's it. That wraps it up. Any last words about these guys you want to say before we close this episode? If, if the Titans draft Eric Stokes in the first round, I'm going to look like a genius, and you need to clip this audio and 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 and, and put it all over Twitter because I'm a big fan of his game, and I, I think the Titans are going to be a big fan of his game too. 
Nice. And the only concern there is that he's from Georgia. <laughs> right. I mean, how much do they want to dip back into the Georgia well? And I've thought about this, and I, I know it's it's fun to speculate, but one reason that I think they won't hesitate to go back to Georgia is you heard John Robinson in a press conference. I mean, it's been several weeks now. It was before the Wilson trade, but he said that the Isaiah Wilson that we vetted pre-draft was not the same guy that showed up to Nashville. So I know there's been lots of talk out there about the red flags were there, yada, yada. I, I, I don't think I fully buy that yet. So I don't remember anything pre-draft. But anyway, I get the impression that Georgia did not lie about Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson changed when he got money, fell into the wrong group of friends. Whatever happened, Isaiah Wilson changed. I don't think this is a case where the Titans can't trust Georgia. Because John, you heard John Robinson say it, and I think that's a very telling sentence when it comes to whether or not they can trust Georgia. The Isaiah Wilson that we vetted pre-draft was not the same guy that came to Tennessee. So that insinuates that in between, right? Something happened there in between that process. We we said we'd never talk about him again on this show, but since the we lied, cut him, which we never mentioned, uh, and it's, his career appears to be over now. It does seem to me like maybe he was a guy who knew he could get drafted in the first round, didn't really like football that much, <laughs> so he worked really hard to get drafted in the first round so that he could get a big paycheck and walk away. I mean, that doesn't seem that far-fetched to me, which I mean, would involve I being a hard worker in college and then lying to the people who are going to draft you so that you can just cut bait and walk away, right? A tip of the cap to him. I've, I've, never, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it before, if that's the case. Right. All right, well, that'll wrap up this episode of the Music City Audible. As always, head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com to check out all of our Tennessee Titans content. John Glennon's writing about the Nashville Predators, the Speedway Soccer guys write about Nashville SC and the U.S. Men's National Team. So check that stuff out on broadwaysportsmedia.com. Make sure you're following Justin at JustinM underscore NFL on Twitter for all of those draft visit updates and draft prospect interviews over at thedraftnetwork.com. Follow me at Titans Film Room and make sure you're checking out at MCA Broadway, the Twitter handle for this podcast, which you should subscribe to and leave a little five-star rating, write a little message in the reviews if you like the show because it helps us grow and it helps us find new listeners. So help us out that way and we'll keep coming back every Friday to deliver you more content. We'll dive deeper into the draft and cover other prospects that are possibilities for the first round and throughout all the way through round seven because Justin how many guys are you watching this year uh, I'm getting ready to release my big board it looks like it's going to be 240 people so we got the whole draft covered folks we will be back next week to talk more about it until then you all stay safe out there and tighten up a Broadway sports media production